Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I'm Ivan Kander and as always I am joined by my two handsome debonair co-hosts Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. gentlemen. It's always very difficult to sink that. The, the sinking of the glasses? Not the sink, no, just to say it's hello, so easy, gentlemen. Dave. You just look the, at the glass and you just clink them together. I, I to say hello, gentlemen, gentlemen at the same time. Sorry. Uh, yeah, well, we're off to a great start. Sorry, um, this is the podcast mm. where we talk about classic movies and see if they hold up when watching them today. Uh, you can find us on the internet at uh, reviewedpodcast.com, facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. And this year, we are talking about the sci-fi film uh, Gattaca. This year, that's true. What? Yeah, this year. New, it is uh, a new podcast year. of the new year. Oh, boom. I didn't even realize I did that. Happy uh, New Year. Genetics. What can it mean? The ability to perfect the physical and mental characteristics of every unborn child. In the not-too-distant future, our DNA will determine everything about us. A minute drop of blood, saliva, or a single hair determines where you can work, who you should marry, what you're capable of achieving. In a society where success is determined by science, Divided by the standards of perfection. One man's only chance... How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. ...is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. ...by borrowing someone else's. Congratulations. What about the interview? That was it. Yeah, we were talking about Gattaca, which is a film... uh, Directed by Andrew Nichol, correct? Yes. Um, I gotta bring up my little. I can't do anything with that IMDb. I gotta pull that up. Hold on, guys. Oh, Ooh, I got a text whoa. message. You forgot to turn on. <laughs> do not disturb. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> no, the sad thing is, I think this is the first text message I've received like in the new days. year. I, I just have no friends, so um, <laughs> now uh, it's always exciting when I get a text message. I'm like, oh, someone likes me, and then it's usually my wife, and I'm like, oh, I already know her. That's uh, Ethan Hawke. He wants to make a movie with you. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely Ethan Hawke. We're talking about uh, Andrew Nichols' Gattaca. It came out in 1997, which means it's celebrating its 20th anniversary, I guess, yeah. um, which is pretty cool. It stars Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman and Jude Law and Alan Arkin. It's about a, a genetically inferior man who assumes the identity of a superior one in order to pursue his lifelong dream of space travel. Um, it is a movie that failed hugely at the box office. It was a humongous bomb. Um, really? Yeah, it uh, hmm. had a budget of around $30 million and made... 12, I believe. Hmm. Um, but it has since gained this kind of this cult following, um, and enough so that uh, Andrew Nichols still has a career. The odd thing is um, Gattaca did well with critics, and I feel like uh, Nichols has been kind of just went downhill from there. He's well, had a lot of bombs. He wouldn't, his career really wasn't due to this movie, though. Uh, what was his career due to then? The Truman Show. Wait, that, no, that's uh, Peter Veer. 
Peter Peter Weir, yes, yeah, the yeah. Australian director. I, uh, but Andrew Nichol wrote and produced it, I think. Oh, no no joke. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, he, he was the writer. I'm going to keep on saying Peter Weir just to annoy you. Peter Weir. Because I want to make, make him German even though he is Australian. I don't know why I do that. Um, but other films in Nichols' filmography include Lord of War, um, uh, the movie Simone which, with Al Pacino, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. In Time, the Justin Timberlake yes. sci-fi vehicle, and he's which got a basically couple of... the same movie as this one, right? I, I will agree. Part. He peaked in the late '90s, no doubt. Well, I mean, he's uh, a director that has a lot of really interesting sci-fi ideas. In, in fact, uh, if Gattaca were made today, it would just be a Black Mirror episode. So uh, that's interesting to think about. Probably would um, be. Mm-hmm. It would but, also be marketed probably very differently than. Did you guys get a chance to watch the trailer for Getica? Well, we just listened to it. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We were all sitting here watching it. I forgot. Um, No, I did, and it's very dated. The trailer is very dated. It's a voiceover. It has, like, music that sounds like it's from the Alien soundtrack. It is, and, which, and it's you know in no way in tune with the actual tone of the movie. It's very interesting to see how Justin, you know, I guess it's been 20 years, but it's interesting to just, just look back at movie trailers 10 years ago and see how they don't age well. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it is kind of incredible. I think in, you know, five years from now, we're all going to be bemoaning the the slowed down pop music that is currently the fad in all music. Uh, oh, yeah. That, it would, oh, definitely, yes, I'm already would definitely have a slowed down classic rock song. I can't. You know, we'll leave it to the listeners to... Something about time or genetics or something like that. Uh, but, I don't know what he's talking about, eugenics. <laughs> oh, you know, that uh, the friendly co- topic of eugenics. Uh, but yeah, basically this movie is kind of very much of its time because I feel like the mid to late 90s was an explosion of interest in the human genome and what that means for science and what that means for ethics and all kinds of things like that. And this is stuff the movie touches upon. I mean, if you go back to the mid-90s, uh, 1994 is the O.J. Simpson trial, right? Uh, yeah. And that is when America knows what DNA is and True. DNA evidence is and why that's a really important thing. And we start uh, – um, I remember being in middle school um, and them showing us, like, videos when teachers didn't feel like teaching all about mapping the human genome. And mm. once we map the human genome, we'll be able to eliminate disease like Down syndrome and other <laughs> stuff like that, which has not since happened. But uh, it's very interesting to think about the realm of scientific possibility that, the, that this age of discovery gave us. So Nickel, who is a New Zealand filmmaker, kind of capitalized on this and created this weird sci-fi that exists within no time. It's kind of like a uh, retro... The not-too-distant future. It's, yeah, right. The not, I like that touch, the not-too-distant future, yeah. It is a retro sci-fi. It feels very much like a film noir aesthetically mm-hmm. um, because it, all the people in it are wearing you know, very dated clothes, fedoras. Fedoras and dusters. And, yeah. Very monochromatic for the most part. Yeah. And, and even the suits, the cuts mm-hmm. of the suits, whether they be double-breasted and stuff like that, feel very much... Uh, like he, he does this thing where he's like, I'm never going to beat the future, so I'm going to go back and pretend that's the future, mm. which I think is actually a, a good aesthetic choice for the movie. But anyway, um, I'm talking too much. So, Mike, I'm assuming you've never mm. seen this movie. Um, I know you're a, you chose uh, for us to rewatch this, uh, or Mike and I mean Dave and I to rewatch this. Do you uh, did you enjoy it? And uh, I know you're a big fan of sci-fi, heady sci-fi movies. I know you're a big Christopher Nolan fan and, and such. Uh, did you enjoy this movie? I did, yeah. I think... Um, okay, we're done. So I, can we just... Um, yeah, we're great. We're good to go. Do you need me anymore? Like, am I good no, to go? Or? No, it's good. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I liked it. I think I like the premise um, maybe a little bit more than I like the actual movie um, because I think the premise is very interesting and it's something I've often wondered about myself. Like without even having 
seen this movie before is the idea of like when we get into genetic engineering and it becomes a reality what happens to the people who can't afford it you know that's always a question i've thought about and i think this movie kind of addresses that for the most part um and uh, i think i think the world he creates i like i think there's just some of the storytelling turns i think some of them some parts are a bit heavy-handed and almost not needed um and I think just, I don't know, some of the execution, I think maybe is, is a little bit lacking, but I think the overall idea and the world he puts together is pretty interesting. And I think it's, uh, it makes for a good setting. And I think it helps me to forgive some of the plot stuff and some of the choices I think he made with the storytelling because I just enjoy the world and I like what he's proposing and what he's thinking. I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Uh, um, but before I, I delve more into my thoughts, I'll turn over to our cinema expert. David Glantz for his his thoughts. Uh, I'm I'm curious to hear what you think about this movie, Dave, because you know you're you have fine taste. You're a bit of a you're a bit of a cinephile and such. Do you think this movie transcends its genre roots to be something more artful, or is it uh, just kind of like a solid sci-fi movie to you? I I I go. I think it depends on when you ask me. I think right now I'll say it, it slightly transcends uh, the genre trappings. I think I think the ideas in this movie. Uh, and the and the general execution of it, I think, make it 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 holds up pretty well for me. I mean, I feel I feel like it's uh, it, it doesn't feel as dated as I thought it was going to feel. It's been a long I, time I since I since it's been a long time since I've seen this. I, I remember seeing it. Uh, I don't think I ever saw it in the theaters, but I remember seeing it on video after, right after it came out. And um, you know that that's what got me excited about the Truman Show when it was coming out the following year. And and uh, you know it, it, you know it's a movie of it's um. It feels like uh, a really a work of passion. Like this, you know, I, th- I feel like Andrew Nichol really was passionate about these big science fiction ideas, and you know, looking, you know, whenever we talk about these new scientific discoveries, and like you were saying, DNA and genetics were becoming uh, more widely known and discussed in the '90s. I feel like there's always authors and artists that are always looking for the side effects of these kinds of discoveries, and and I feel like this is just, you know, what would happen if uh, we, you know. You know, yes, it's great that we can use uh, genetics to fix certain things, but what if we got to the point where you know humanity is so uh, corrupt that uh, eventually we would we would use it to um, discriminate against people because that's in in our nature, and that's essentially what this movie is saying: is that in the future, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really open up beyond this little. It, that I would say, if there's any issues there's a few issues with this movie I, I, that i think we can discuss but one of them is that it doesn't really feel like the world takes place uh the movie takes place beyond like a couple houses and and his workplace you know it, and you, you see even though it's about him wanting to be an astronaut and go to outer space it feels like it's a very intimate movie and yeah it's pretty you know, small it has its up it has its upsides and downsides i would say um so it doesn't feel like it's you know it doesn't feel like something like a monumental kind of movie, but it feels like a very intimate uh, study of, of of what would happen to certain people if this was, you know, if if this was the future, you know, if uh, if other people um, were, if if we had no control over the fact that other people were going to be have more advantages, uh, you know, more uh, chances in life, and I think that's what's interesting about the movie, and I think you know the acting is overall good. I think. Uh, Uma Thurman is given is unfortunately given a uh, pretty terrible role uh, to play. So you know this is after Pulp Fiction, so she had already established herself as a as a very good actress. Uh, it's just a shame that that her her role is just you know she's just I kind feel of like eye she's candy. probably pulled in for the name. 
Right. He's Didn't just really like give her much to do. This is pretty much Ethan Hawke, and this is a this is a two hander with Ethan Hawke and Jude Law, and they're both very good. And uh, at this point, Ethan Hawke was kind of the big draw. Jude Law was an unknown, and uh, and so was Andrew Nichols. So I think that uh, overall, it's you know it's, it's a very it, you know there's a, there's a lot to discuss in this movie, and I and I feel like you know it hasn't aged in a way where it feel, where it, it has didn't make me roll my eyes thinking uh, you know maybe a few visuals of the computers and, and that kind of stuff. Computer interfaces never really age well, but um, you know. Overall, I feel like it's aged pretty well, and uh, you know, I enjoyed it. Well, there yeah, you I, go. Think, I think it does age pretty well. Um, can we discuss the weird facial expressions that Ethan Hawke is making for like seventy-five percent of this movie? Yeah, it's just kind of—he's got Hawk. that weird like. I think that's wry... just Ethan Hawke's face, yeah. man. Yeah, he just has I, a... no, because I've seen him in other things, and he doesn't do these weird faces he's doing in this movie. I, I, I feel like he's, he's become a much better actor in the past ten years. It must say. be. It must be because he kept doing these like 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 his face is made of clay. These weird lip things and his creepy <laughs> smile. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, that's just <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know what's funny? I um that never really uh, crossed my mind, Mike. I didn't think he was that weird looking in the movie, but there you go. Um, There's one in particular when he's talking to the director, and the director's asking him like the very opening, like ten minutes, I think, or when he's that's a, another and, actor playing him. I think they, they 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 I don't know they found the perfect actor to play the like a teenage Ethan Hawke. Yeah, and I'm surprised and the, and the they didn't even kid, have even the little kid looked just like him. Yeah, I, I I think when I first saw it, I just assumed that was Ethan Hawke playing the teenager, but it's actually another actor. Yeah, I was actually really impressed by the brief casting, uh, the casting of those characters. Uh, Charles, Chad Grist, Christ is the. Uh, actor who plays no it's 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 him at that point but whatever we, we, we can we can move on <laughs> anyway um my thoughts on the movie I, I think i'm kind of on the same boat as you guys which i guess might make for a less interesting discussion but i agree i think this is a movie that is solid i it has apparently a very large cult following it, it has since become more popular after it failed at the box office it kind of picked up this uh indie following after that i think it's a beautiful movie i think the art direction is kind of stunning um i kind of like the fact that it goes for this retro future thing because it places it in a time that just does not exist which I think works well for sci-fi. Um, here, the, the issue with the movie is, on paper, I should love this movie. It should be like my favorite thing ever. But for some reason, it leaves me emotionally cold. And I don't know that's why. The, that's the, that's the uh, Uma Thurman character, probably. Potentially. Um, and I don't know why, because there's, you know, there's so much working for it in the sense that they do establish a relationship between, you know, let's kind of go, let's, let's back up a little bit and talk about how the movie is structured. So the movie starts, uh, basically, um, a major event, uh, you know, it starts showing Ethan Hawke's character kind of uh, preparing to show, basically showing how Ethan Hawke is masquerading as another person. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into, basically, the first act of this movie is just 30 minutes of exposition. It's 30 minutes of explaining the world, explaining that Ethan Hawke is a, what's referred to as a uh, a natural born or an invalid or... um, A degenerate. A degenerate, which is my favorite. (laughs) Um, And his brother uh, was, um, is the opposite of that. His brother was a person who was born where that you know all the the traits were selected and all that kind of stuff um so um he's always you know competing with his brother and he has this dream of going to outer space so he eventually uh forms kind of like this relationship with jude law's character who is a uh, a non-degenerate a valid person who injured his legs in an accident do they ever establish how he injured his legs yeah he stepped in front of a car yeah but uh, purpose- sober but purposely, right? Yeah. We, yeah. They, they establish that he's a little suicidal, mentally ill. So the genetics apparently hasn't solved every thing, or not perfect. Essentially, from what I gathered, is because he won. He was an athlete. He won silver. He didn't win gold. And I think he was trying to kill himself because he was so uh, much of a perfectionist. Well, I mean, symbolically, there's a lot about second place in this movie. 
this idea of always being not good enough or, or, or you know, Ethan Hawke, most evident with Ethan Hawke and his brother. You know, mm-hmm. he's never as good as his brother. And then the big symbolism, as you said, Mike, of Jude Law's silver medal. So um, I think that's kind of interesting. But, yeah, so uh, Ethan, uh, they basically do a bo- it's, it's a body swap comedy <laughs> about a, a, a man masquerading as uh, someone he's not so he can join the space program and he has to basically pretend to be this person and all that junk. Um, and then a murder happens and suddenly uh, Ethan Hawke might, may or may not be involved uh, with said murder and uh, the rest is history. It's a, it's a, it's, it is what I like to call... Um, it is a character-driven sci-fi movie. It's definitely a, it's a high-concept character-driven sci-fi movie uh, that I'm guessing for budgetary reasons takes place in two locations. Yeah, yeah. because it, yeah. I mean it, uh, it saves money um, if you don't have to show the larger. I, I I almost really wish we saw the larger impl- implications of this world. You kind of touch upon it, like when they go see the pianist and he's got six fingers, like little mm-hmm. creative touches like that. Mm-hmm. I think are nice, but I never feel like the world is built in a way that feels totally logical. Um, and I think that a lot of that has comes down to the budget constraints put onto the movie, especially in 1997 when Possibly. computers don't do as much as they do now to, to, to make things look more But I feel like even, even lower budget movies like the original Mad Max and the Road Warrior opened up the movie just with even a little prologue, you know, establishing the world. You know, I, don't, I don't think you need a huge budget to, to do world building. I think that he just chose not to do that for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe so, um, and it could also be. You could also argue that it's it, it is the point of this movie to feel claustrophobic and um, sterile and mm-hmm. not make you feel emotion, that kind of thing. Um, but I'm still not quite sure what it is about this movie that makes me not feel for these characters. Because did you feel I, for Ethan Hawke's character at all, Mike? I I, 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 I did. I did a little bit. I, yeah. I think. I think my issue with it, and I, I agree, I mean, I feel like it kind of leaves me a little bit cold, too, is I feel like it's a little ham-fisted when it gets into the whole, like, you know, getting the point across that we're, we're more than just our genetics, like, we're more than just our lot in life, like, we can accomplish great things, it, it's really up to the individual, like, I got that, and I got that within the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie, like, and especially I got that by the time him and his brother are, like, in the water, and they race and he beats his brother for the first time and then he realizes he's better than what he thought he was and he, he kind of takes off like no, I got I, that concept right there they didn't have to do it again at the end of the movie I felt like that was just such a major distraction and it was beating a dead horse and I feel like that pulls away a lot of the emotional impact of the end of the movie because it's focusing on that versus the other narrative that's going on what did you guys make of the uh, murder mystery detective? That's aspect? the other. That's the other thing I was going to bring up, Dave. Is I think that is horribly underbaked. The whole yeah. there's no suspense to that plot, and I feel like that. I think for this movie to really work as kind of like the film noir that it's trying to be, I think it should be a really interesting murder mystery, and it never is. No, the, the person, uh, the killer, literally is a reveal uh confesses off screen uh, <laughs> and they just cut to some character who we have no familiarity with and no idea of his motivations or i mean they they say his motivations but it's never really built up to that point um the murder mystery is almost um oh wait a minute so can we spoil this movie since we're we're talking yeah. yes yeah. so gore, is it, doesn't it turn out to be gore vidal is that the the director the director, the director yeah. of the whole program yeah he yeah. turns yeah he's a famous author and i mean in real life 
and uh, he, I, I, I didn't even re- remember that he was in this movie. Well, I mean, they, they say that he was really passionate about the shuttle program, uh-huh. and the guy he killed wanted to stop. But the we've sh- seen enough of his character in the movie. Like, he's not like. I a, feel like I never quite got his extreme passion for the shuttle program that would necessitate him wanting to commit murder. No, I mean, I, I think it's predictable. Not, like, I think I knew, yeah. I knew that early on. Um, I just, I, I don't know. For me, the murder mystery is like kind of. There's there's so much going on, right? Like there's the whole premise, there's the whole message of, you know, again, we are more than just our genetics, right? There's that, there's the love story, there's the con artist angle of what he's trying to do as far as, um, you know, just trying to get on the shuttle. And then we have a murder mystery. There's like four things going on. And it kind of, everything sort of suffers because you don't really get one really strong through line. Like, I don't you, think you need you the murder also- at all. I, I think well you, you need you need an inciting incident that suddenly puts our main character at jeopardy. You do yeah, need they just that. find they, they just find an eyelash. That's it. Like that's I think that's all you need, right? And you they also wanted just... to get the two brothers back together somehow. And he, one brother turns out to be the detective, and that right. That's, a... So that's that's plot number five. You have that yeah. as well. So it's like five well, I mean, there's also Uma, the there's movie. also the relationship with Uma Thurman and right. um, their connection as well. But um, I well I, I feel like I'm talking about a million things at once, which is probably be probably bad, but. Um, the uh, the brother reveal really worked for me. Did that not work for you? I've seen that, that movie the moment. Does. No, it worked for me. It's just I yeah. feel like they could have, um, you know, there didn't have to be an actual murder mystery. It could have been like a, a search for an invalid or, or, or whatever. Right. Like think about you this. Know, you you simply could have been something else just... that uh, beyond. Um, it just you know. Not, I mean, I agree with you. You never really got a sense of the the director's passion or why he would actually kill somebody. I think um, I, I think murder is the right idea. I think death is a really important thing for a movie. Like I think. Uh, I think it's an interesting trope. I just don't think it was handled well. Yeah, here. but I, I think it's an over. Like I think you Uh-oh. can just find the eyelash in the room, and that's the inciting incident. He, they just know they have an invalid somewhere. I guess they need to know. I guess you can't do that because an invalid in the no. I guess the janitor would have counted for that. I don't know. I just think you you simplify it down, and I think you give more breathing room. I honestly, I think the story is mostly between um, him and uh, Jude Law. I think that's a really interesting relationship. And I think that's the best relationship the in the highlight world, more, more so than his brother. Definitely and I the think, highlight of the movie, for sure. Yeah, so I think that, you get rid of, yep, you get rid of Uma Thurman, you get rid of um, the whole brother. brother thing, and you just make it between <laughs> the two of them. Or you turn, maybe he is the brother, maybe that's the relationship. His brother is supposed to be, you know, because I feel like that's a, a double plot about the fact of, you know, jealousy of of somebody, and also their kind of inferiority complex where they're not good enough. You have that on the screen twice. You have the brother and you have Jude Law. So just combine that into one character and make it about his, him and his brother. Oh, that's you know, interesting. That's what I'm saying. I, I think yeah. like you do something like that and you make it more streamlined. I think um, I think it kind of works better just as, as a self-contained story. And you it can, does, you it does feel like they reach for more than they could uh, grasp, I guess, <laughs> and yeah. as far as like all, all the different plot threads. And it would have been... But, you know, I feel like that aspect of the movie is strong enough that, uh, you know, that it still holds up overall, you know. No, I think it does too. It's it's um, like I said, if you were to write a paper, like if you were to write a plot, like a paper, like that listed what happened in this movie, I'm like, bet I really gonna love that movie. And for some reason, and this is why I, I talk about this a lot in this podcast about this idea of the magic of movies. Like sometimes things just work, and sometimes they don't totally come together. And I mean, this is photographed beautifully. It looks really good. Yeah. Uh, the the cinematography is lovely. Uh, I love his use of wide shots to show the architecture of the various buildings that have like this very like space age or mm-hmm. modern aesthetic uh, in contrast with their old fashioned suits. I think that's all really cool. Mm-hmm. And they've got like these Dick Tracy watches that they use, which is kind of <laughs> neat. Um, all that all that works for me. I just 
the larger issue, and I think Dave touched upon this, and you 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 advocate Mike getting rid of her entirely. But Uma Thurman's character, she is given nothing to do in the movie. Yeah, uh, she she acts like a robot to, for the first time you see her, and then they they're supposed to be developing this relationship that never quite comes, and they try to um, give her character some depth by insinuating that she's also not perfect, that she's got this defect that will prevent her from going to space. She can only be like a, a computer jockey, so to speak, um, but. Her character is missing something, like, entirely. And their relationship feels so forced um, yeah. that it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't 100% work um, at all. In fact, there's more of a romantic connection between him and Jude Law than yeah. there is uh, yeah. between him and Uma Thurman. Yeah, they don't really give her the space. To, I mean, she, she's a very charismatic actress, and they don't really give her the space to, to open up her character at all. And then if, if, if they're not going to do that, then they need to establish more of, of why she is as cold as she is. Well, this is and they a, don't they don't really get into that. So this it, is a mistake a that any 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 movie that forces an actor to not emote is usually a like I I usually hate characters like that unless it's done for comedic effect. Like it's like a, a robot character in Star Wars that's purposely dry because that's their mm-hmm. perso- you know that's that's a contrast to all this other lively stuff happening on screen. But it's really boring to watch a great actor not act or or or, or act boring. Like mm-hmm. there's something intensely annoying about that or if you if you can maybe if she can like maybe if we can get a hint that she's actually a very passionate vibrant person and she kind of keeps it under wraps because of the job she's in because of society whatever it is um but once you get to know her she's actually a lot like bigger and broader and brighter like something like that even would be nice like when they're on their date i felt like she was still kind of the same person like they go to the the radar dishes and she's just kind of like okay do you like them? Like it's just kind of not much of a not much of a change in written personality. I feel like she doesn't really even yeah, I, develop I, that much. I agree. That scene is very underwritten. There's a sequence where they have this big date. They uh, and uh, they have a, a very interesting moment where he has to get rid of his contacts so he can't oh, see yeah. properly. Oh yeah, I like I like that. That was great. He and I didn't realize traffic it was... like Bowfinger. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. good <laughs> reference. Um, well, I mean, I think that the the movie is most suspenseful and well done in those moments. That moment is great where he's trying to cross the road and the traffic he can't see and he has to pretend that he can. That's the, that's a great moment. And also when Jude Law needs to get up those steps. Uh, to yeah. pretend that yeah. he is not a cripple. Mm. Um, that's a great tense moment. And it made me think about... Misery? Uh, uh, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, that is good a good point. Move, good, sweet callback. Um, <laughs> check it out, guys. Episode 71, 70. Um, the, the thing that I find most interesting about those kind of sequences is that they're very... Um, like we, we watch all this spectacle in movies nowadays, like... Uh, you know, big fight sequences and all that kind of stuff. But the most intense sequences are always based on the simplest thing, right? Like in Misery, it's whether or not he can get back to the room in time without being noticed. And in this movie, it's whether or not he can cross a lane of traffic. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I um, I don't mean to bring up this movie, but I finally watched Batman v Superman. Have you guys watched this yet? <laughs> yeah, it's no. terrible. Have you watched it, Dave? <laughs> yeah, I did. It's terrible. Um, it's real bad. Yeah. But the final sequence of this movie is like, this humongous special effects like it is impressive aesthetically in the mm-hmm. sense that like the money is on the screen like things are blowing up and all that kind of stuff but you could not care less about what is happening no. you know nope. um, um, so that's what's so um, Mike you've seen it right no no I haven't oh. the trailer was enough for me I think oh. I got really the meat of the movie from the trailer so <laughs> yeah. I think I'm oh. good 
Pretty yeah, much. You are but, right. um, it, you know, it goes back to what I'm saying about the magic of movies is that you can keep – if you can keep people invested in small moments, uh, you, you have a you – know, uh, you were very successful and I think this movie despite my larger hesitations about the emotional connection to the material I think has enough great small moments that overall it's like a solid B B plus for me yeah uh, is, is how I would phrase it I'm, I'm mostly with you there um, and can we talk about I think the, the shooting I think is it's beautifully shot and I think it, there's a lot of really great visuals a lot of great um, I, I think shots even just visual cues visual um not to use motifs of the idea of, of the the opening credits that was great like the microscopic like the toenails dropping the hair getting clipped um, it's almost like abstract and you're like what am I looking at like I knew immediately what it was but I'm like I could see how you would not know what this is until you see him actually doing that and then you're like why is he doing this and then I love the moment of him getting out of the shower and turning on the furnace and the flames kind of and the, the room is blue everything is blue and you have those really nice hot orange flames this is a very blue um, and gray movie it's a, it styli- well, yeah. it's a stylistic movie because yeah. it uses a lot of um, neon green as well. It yeah, uses, green, you, yellow, yeah. It uses a lot of interesting color punches throughout it. Like they're, the, the visual of them through that tunnel where they've got like that retro car and there's mm-hmm. like the green uh, yeah. hue to everything. I think is mm-hmm. it create it makes it feel sci-fi through lighting, which yeah. is I think really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I forget who the cinematographer of this movie is, but I, I really like – I'm going to go look him up and see what else he's done right now. So you guys can talk amongst yourselves. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll great. You, yeah, well, what I, what I do, another <laughs> thing, like, even at the end when he's uh, – <laughs> When he's uh, taking off in the in the shuttle and uh, Jude Law is basically killing himself in the oven, um, I think that just just you know the juxtaposition of the two shots of the fact that like you know he's flying into the stars and the guy's underground burning himself alive like I, it just the visuals going back and forth they had a lot of um, visually similar shots like you know you see the, the the ignition of the engines and the flames there the ignition of the oven. Um, I think that was just shot very well. I, I, I enjoyed that. And I think there are other, a lot of other stuff like that shot throughout the movie. Um, the scene of the building, um, you know, just the, it's always a locked off shot, I, I think. And it's the same angle every time, but it's still, it's still pretty cool. I like, I like the framing and the uh, overall shot of that, yeah. Um, this guy's just shot like a million movies, so I mean, it's hard to... Anything good, though? <laughs> um, he's done a few of the Harry Potters. Uh, he, did Harry, he did Black Hawk Down, King Arthur, uh, Gattaca. <laughs> he's done all, he he was he's done movies since the 1960s. Uh, so he's had quite a storied career. He's a Polish director, started in Poland and a Polish cinematographer, excuse me, and uh, has kind of done a bunch of movies uh, from there and moved on. But anyway, um, about this, oh my god, my is my son still up? Yeah, he is. Jesus. Oh my god, you can't put that What do you guys think down. of the tagline for this movie? There is no gene for the human spirit. Does that fit in with the tone of the movie? Um, <laughs> so. well, I mean, it's well, it's it's about this it's I guess. It's, it's the theme I disagree. Of the movie, I think right? there probably is, but um <laughs> there, there is no gene. There probably is a gene for the human spirit. Um yeah. I mean, Mike was talking about things he would change about like he would cut Uma's there Thuma's carrot. Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman's character, and he would potentially revise the brother subplot. I would potentially structurally change how the movie is so exposition heavy in the first thirty minutes. Yeah, I think yeah. that the world building, like as Mike said, becomes fairly apparent pretty early, and I think we kind of get it, and it's very over narrated to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can tell that information. You can reveal that information in more interesting ways. I think he is showing. He's, he's almost like he's showing enough that he doesn't have to narrate it. So it, no, it's, it's like uh, it's it's double information to the yeah. point where I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, man, like, uh, <laughs> um, 
I totally got it. Um, and, that's and, pr- and that feels like it's more of a directorial decision, honestly. It's like it might have been written into the script, but I, I feel like a, maybe maybe someone like Peter Weir doing the Truman Show. Who Peter, knows? Peter Veer? Peter Veer. <laughs> Peter Veer doing the Truman Show <laughs> might have taken – I mean, I, I haven't read the Truman Show script, but I, I can imagine how he would have kind of mixed that that idea of doing the uh, – the narration, because he's a, he's he's a pretty he's, he's a director that usually knows how to uh, balance things pretty well. Yeah, and I feel like the narration kind of throws it off balance a little bit. I almost want to do a re-edit of this movie where I just start cutting narration, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. and I think I think I can make a stronger film. Um, I do quite enjoy the musical score, though. I think it's beautiful, mm-hmm. um, especially the final. I uh, you know I I thought it was a little a little too heavy-handed. beautiful. I, I mean, think, it, this it, is, it's a very classical music, musical yeah, score. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it fits. I, I love the I love the, tra- uh, the the sound of it, I, and it's well, like totally my type of score. But I, I, in the in the future, well, I think I was that's expecting goes, something grungier and techier. Well, that's the thing. Uh, I think the the that's obvi- what would make it feel dated. I think. I think the obvious choice is to yeah, go with like right. a, a a synth score, like Blade Runner. It's right. a very synth heavy score, or something like The Matrix, where it's like certain parts of that soundtrack are very dated and other aspects I mean almost anything orchestral lasts much longer you know and, and, and when you watch The Matrix and you hear some of those uh, kind of new metal songs you're like uh, I don't know about this I mean some of them are be- you know better than others in, in, in that movie but you know The Matrix actually has a pretty terrific score um, and uh, I think Gattaca's score is fine <laughs> yeah no, I, th- I think it is beautiful like I really did I, I liked it I just wonder if it's the most appropriate um, choice yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure myself. Um, I, 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 I think it's beautiful. I don't. I, I, I think it works because of that retro future thing he's going for. Like he's going for the movie is almost. It, it is crazy because it, it is shot and looks like a period piece that mm-hmm. happens to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it also reminded me a little, slightly of Dark City. Have you seen Dark City? Yeah, I have. Um, which I've, is also a, a retro future movie that came out in the late '90s, I think. Uh, that's a movie that uh, was unfortunately released after the Matrix. Was no, it was before the Matrix, wasn't it? I think I think it was it was either between these two or, or around the same time. I can't remember, but Dark City definitely made me. It definitely made me think of Dark City. Yeah, for sure. In uh, fact, if you go to IMDb and you say people who like this also liked Moon, uh, Minority Report, and Dark City, boom, top three. That makes sense. There you there go. go. Ba boom. Um, cool. Uh, so if you haven't seen Dark City, it's actually pretty pretty good. So Roger Ebert loved Dark City, I remember. Um, well, 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 did he? That's a movie that, um, again, like, just leaves me cold. Like, I think it's interesting. It just leaves me totally cold. Um, I, maybe that's Same. worth a rewatch, but I, I, uh, it's a movie that never quite... What's going on? Oh, is that, sorry, that's the fan. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were being attacked. All kinds of noises. All kinds of noises. Kinds of noise. I apologize to everyone listening to this. I mean, well, I mean, normally I apologize just because we're talking, but, you know. All three yeah. of them. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Solid movie for me, but I again I don't know if this n- ever. I don't know. I, I feel like I don't know if this movie ever quite. Uh, so given well here, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going <laughs> to say given today's like some of the things about this movie, you know, feel uh, more potent today given what's going on in our political climate with, uh, you know, the the era of Trump that we're about to enter, uh, and uh, the, the vetting of Muslims and. and possible deport- deportation of people and building a wall in Mexico and, and just the idea of certain people being superior to other people. I mean, that, that kind of thing, you know, I, I, that thought was definitely in my head watching this movie, the idea that, um, you know, living in a society where, you know, people are viewed as lesser than um, is definitely, I feel like, pertinent to today. And, you know, I feel like that's a, 
unfortunately something that's if history is cyclical unfortunately that's something that that happens and we fight back against it and then it comes comes back and and I think we're you know hope we're fighting against it again now we're it feels like we're starting to fight against it unfortunately uh, yeah I agree with that um I mean, I think I think uh, the adage that history repeats itself is very much true. I think that we, I think the thing that I think this movie gets right is authoritarian societies uh, are never like hellish landscapes that we like to think of them being. Like this idea that life under um, life under an authoritarian dictator would be horrible, and there would be people starving in the streets and living, you know. I think that if, you know, if we went to a dictatorship, which we are heading towards, it seems like, uh, in, in some ways, I think life would be very normal for most people. I think certain subsets of the population would be totally screwed and their mm-hmm. lives would be horrible. But for the average person that, you know, makes a decent living and just goes to the job and wants to take care of their family, life would kind of be the same. Right. Um, and I think that that kind of boringness of uh, authoritarianism is really scary mm-hmm. because it's so easy to get complacent with things that are bad and when bad things happen you're like yeah this is just how life is and you know and you know so what i can't talk about this one thing or we can't allow those uh degenerates to join our jazz clubs but you know it uh, you know it's fine for me my life's normal and i think it's true even outside of a um you know a tyrannical society i think there's issues there's things that go on now even you know pre-trump that there have been going on where it's like you know we people turn to blind people turn a blind eye to whatever doesn't directly affect them and you know, there's all you know the the, the cop uh, abuse and and you know wrongful imprisonment, all this other stuff happens all the time. And we don't even really, I mean, we say we care, but how many people are actually doing something to change the situation? I think it's very easy for people to you know whatever is going on, if it doesn't directly affect them, most people don't do anything about it. I think it's just a, that's just a survival uh, instinct. It's like you don't want to sure. risk, risk hurting yourself. I think. Right, or even just like the, the amount of time it takes to do that, and you know, like time is a resource, all that stuff. But yeah, um, well, I mean, time is literally a resource in Andrew Nichols' movie, uh, right? Yes. Uh, which I actually haven't seen. Have you seen that movie, Dave? Uh, the one, one with Justin Timberlake? The poor people have no time, and the rich people have infinite time. I don't. I don't think I've seen any other mo- movies by him, uh, other than the two that we've talked about, Truman Show and this. Oh, really? That I can, yeah, I've never seen In Time, and I've never seen... Uh, you never seen Lord, Lord of War? Lord of War, I've seen the opening sequence, has that interesting guy. Oh, that's the one with the gunshot? It has a, yeah. a bullet, the life of a bullet. Did he direct Lord of War as well? He did. I think so, yeah. yeah. In Time, what a horrible S- title for Simone, me. I remember that being critically uh, savaged. <laughs> Isn't that the one where... Uh, Al Pacino's in it. He creates like a female movie star who isn't real? Maybe, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, but anyway, uh, he um, would be, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see him as a, a a director on Black Mirror, I would say, since they're doing more Black Mirror episodes. Well, I mean, that's the nature might. of all entertainment nowadays is most directors basically just go to TV um, mm-hmm. and things are things are structured towards TV. Um, literally every studio or production company that is interested in anything I write that I've talked to, like over the phone when they have like general meetings where you're talking to them mm-hmm. the first question they all ask after they've read you know the screenplay that I've written is yeah but do you have like a pilot for a television show because no one wants to make movies anymore we only TV want to make TV thing, yeah. yeah TV is it he's so. got another movie coming out in 2017 it's called uh, Anon A-O-A-N Anon Anon with uh, Clive Owen another uh, set in the world set in a world without uh, anonymity or crime oh, Anon get it 
A detective, oh no, another detective, meets a woman who threatens their security. I mean, this is his jam. He loves high-concept sci-fi. Yeah. He, it's his thing. And I think he, he does create a more artful sense of high-concept sci-fi uh, that should be at least respected. He's not making schlock. He's, he's really trying to make something that has merit aesthetically. So I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Real quickly, before we close out this episode, I have three nitpicks about this movie that just bugged the hell out of me when I was watching. Uh, but, I mean, are minor and really don't matter, but I still want to hear them. Nitpick one, um, if, if we're in a future world where genetic medicine is unparalleled, why can't they just fix Jude Law's legs? If they can grow legs on somebody, come on. Come well, I mean, on. the whole idea is that they know the genome so well and they can do anything with genetic material. Can't they just rebuild Jude Law's legs? You could argue that maybe he doesn't want to be fixed. Okay, fair enough. Nah, I don't, I don't think it's that. I think, it, yeah, I think it's just uh, He's a suicidal because, guy. Okay, but here's the thing: you you can know genetics and not know how to reconstruct um, a spinal spine. column. And I, and I guess I would I would argue that probably they would have a genetic condition doesn't prevent. Well, I'm saying they had the fortune. genetics to give a guy a six finger, but they can't like give him a new leg. I don't know. It's probably no. It's, I actually, you know what? I don't I don't mind that one because again, I, I thought think that it's, was a fluke. It's a, it's a, like it was a, an accident. Like maybe he was a natural born. Oh, no, no, because she said the piece can only be played by someone with 12 fingers, so uh, it seems like it was a, yeah. Yeah, like if you want your kid to be a pianist, you, uh, penis. <laughs> penis. Uh, you, I always um, have to say pianist. A pianist. Um, yeah, you, that's what you do. You, you know, you, you create a guy with six fingers in one hand or 12 fingers or whatever and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, that, that kind of bothered me. That's one. Um, Why not just go seven <laughs> if you're going to go six? Why not just go nine? <laughs> All right, there, there is definitely an ROI, like uh, uh, not sorry, not an ROI, yeah, diminishing returns on fingers. Yeah. After like you got twenty of those things on your hand, it starts getting in the way. Yeah, really, you should just grow another arm with another hand. Right. See, that's the point. So there's a certain point where after a certain number of fingers, you just get a new arm instead. Very expensive though. I wouldn't, and it's also kind of unsightly. Uh, problem two. I didn't understand, and this isn't a problem. This is me not understanding how everything works. So he's wearing he wears contacts to change his eye color to look like Jude Law's character, correct? Mm-hmm. Is that is that? I is think that, so. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. Um, I guess. Why did so he take why them does out? He, why did he take them out? Wouldn't that make him be more notified when the people come? Uh, I wasn't clear on that. But that's a know. huge plot point in the movie, right? Because he he needs to take them out because they he'll be noticed otherwise. So why does he need to take them out? Like that? Yeah, I don't get that. He I should have know. kept him in because he's trying to impersonate that guy. It makes for great. It makes for a great. Maybe because it creates a suspenseful scene. Well, I crossing ex- the highway. Agreed. That sequence is but then you great. Need to, but you why need would to he do, even put himself right. in danger? Of, again, it was a logical issue. Yeah. My second minor nit of the movie, and I don't. I think that I don't quite understand why he did that. I, I was thinking that myself when it happened, and I wasn't really sure why. Um, I, I didn't. I thought I must have missed something, or because if they were doing a scan. I guess my thought was something like, because they had a black light. I was wondering if it would show that he was wearing contacts and it would give him away. Okay. Um, that, that might be. But I'm like, like why don't why has it ever come up like earlier? Like, they never really explain or, or make you understand why he had to do that. I don't know. And his little, the there. little picture of him would be like, oh, he has brown eyes and it's showing green. I don't know. I, that, that is, that's weird to me. My third, this is again, very okay. minor nit, very minor <laughs> nitpick. But why the fuck are they wearing double-breasted suits going into space? Shouldn't they be wearing spacesuits? Uh, yeah. They're, they're like, as they're blasting off, they look like they're about to attend a meeting, a conference call. <laughs> and like, so I know, I understand this is a retro future and everyone wears like this dapper look, but aren't they going to transform? Like, do they just not wear spacesuits when they're flying into, on rockets into space? Well, I mean, remember 2001? I mean, <clears throat> those guys weren't wearing uh, 
spacesuits on on the actual dude ships. it's 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 so commonplace i mean there's something of how many rockets a day at this point it's like we got everything down to a science it's just like taking up a, a plane flight now people right. show up in like cargo shorts and and, and tank tops on a plane. <laughs> it was just like, an odd image to see all these people like walking uh in their uh, business suits so. yeah. no i agree i think actually that's for me one of, one of the things that i think bothered me about the movie is i feel like we don't see i never really buy the space travel i think because you just never really see anything aside from the rockets you don't see guys in suits. You don't see him like watching enviously as they board the ship. You don't really get to see. And again, for budgetary reasons, I'm sure, but because we don't see any of that, it never really becomes super real to me, or I, I buy it or anything. You know, it just that's one of the things that felt when he's on that. I feel like they're just like, okay, put a screen in front of him and shine some light through it. Like it didn't really feel like he was on a spaceship. And I think having a spacesuit would have actually helped there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are my minor nits. Again, not big deal. I just wanted to bring them up. Um, <laughs> if someone is listening and can answer why he took out those contacts, please let me know. Um, that would be very useful. Um, but yeah, this is a movie that's close to being great, but it's just good in my opinion. Um, yeah. But I'm glad I got a chance to revisit it. I in fact own this movie. I didn't even know it. <laughs> I actually don't own it. I stole the movie in college. I went through a big DVD Whoa. burning ripping phase where I was like, I'd, I'd, I'd rent the movie through Netflix. I'd you rip have them. them. You have the movie. <laughs> I have the movie. I've acquired the movie. So I, I was like, I was uh, burning DVDs left and right in college. So um, Gattaca is one of those movies. So there you go. I want to take this while I'm thinking about it. I want to take a quick second to recommend another Ethan Hawke science fiction movie that just came out a couple of years ago. I think it's called Predestination. It's another movie that has a lot of problems, but is a very interesting to talk about. I haven't uh, seen that. Interesting, a fun movie to watch. So Ethan- both of you, I think, would might at the very least enjoy watching it and, and thinking. Ethan Hawke is an actor says. that appears in very good movies and very bad movies. <laughs> yeah, so I wonder about his taste. A, almost any actor does. No, that. but he like has a huge spectrum. He was in like that Selena Gomez movie like a couple years ago that was like the worst reviewed movie of all time. Yeah. And then he's in like Oscar nominated Boyhood. Like right. he's like yeah. When he's with Richard Linklater, he's usually making great stuff. Uh, so yeah, all good <laughs> stuff. Um, any final thoughts, Mike? Before we close this, we'll put this one to bed. No, I say? think I'm. Uh, I think I'm good. I think we kind of. Touched on everything I want to talk about. But you guys? Uh, um, no, I think I got it. Um, I think I've, I've chosen, guys. I think I've decided the next movie we're going to do. Okay. And I have, a t- I have a kind of a tie-in. With? Uh, uh, well, M. Night Shyamalan is returning. Oh, boy. To the big screen with his f- uh, feature film Split, starring uh, James, one James McAvoy. Oh, that's right. I've seen that, yeah. Um, so we are going to talk about his film, uh, Unbreakable. I met Sean Lund's Unbreakable. Interesting. Um, So that is going to be our next film. Um, But if you guys are listening to this show, and I know there's a few of you guys out there. If you're listening to Ivan asking you if you're listening to this show. (laughs) You are listening to this show. Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm an idiot. Um, I'm really dumb. I'm I'm an idiot. I suck. Sorry, man. No, I'm like, um, I just keep on thinking of... um, that scene from uh, Boogie Nights where uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman like tries so to make stupid, out stupid, stupid I'm just so stupid let's do it but anyway um, yeah we're going to be talking about Unbreakable but if you guys have a movie suggestion feel free to email them in and we will uh, try to entertain them as best as we can um, so we do that uh, Mike where can people find you on the internet you can find me at my website at MikeMirandi.com um, or on Twitter at Mike Mirandi. Uh, Dave, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z, and my portfolio is DaveGlanzProductions.com. Uh, you can find me at uh, Lucky9Studios.com. That's Lucky, lucky the number 9, Studios.com. My Twitter is at Ivan Kander. That's 
K-A-N-D-E-R is how you spell my last name. And uh, I write and edit for the website shortoftheweek.com. If you want to like this podcast on iTunes, that would be super. Go ahead and do that. Uh, Also, be sure to like us on Facebook. And uh, um, you can visit us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com. So all good things to do. Until next time, we are going to be talking about M. Night Shyamalan's either masterpiece or horrible movie (laughs) Unbreakable. Interesting choice. So we'll see you guys next time.